Uh, good morning. Uh, like Brad said, my name's Jared. Um, I'm one of the leaders. Let's see if that keeps rolling. Um, here as well. And I spend the majority of my week uh, working in the film industry as a visual effects artist, um, but it's one of the great joys of my life to be a leader in this church and to get to share so much life with uh, all of you um, and share with you this morning. Um, and I wanted to hand it out to these ladies to share a little about their, who they are and where, they, where they're coming from. Oh, yeah, let me turn that on for you. That would help, wouldn't it? Uh, so I'm Sarah Carroll. Um, I've been a part of Soma Culver City for about six years now. Um, I moved here from mostly Arizona for my life, and I work at Raytheon, um, which has been an interesting journey in itself. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to share anything else. Let me no, know that's, that's perfect. <laughs> and I'm Allie Lowndes. I've been with Soma Culver City for almost 11 years which is crazy. Um, I moved here mostly from the Rust Belt, Pittsburgh area. Um, I also worked in visual effects for a number of years, but now I have the privilege of being a stay-at-home mom. So that is me. And to get us focused in this morning, I kind of wanted to share a few passages that, that give us a picture of what we're talking about and what it looks like to be uh, formed in the context of Christian community and how that can be different and is different than, than really any other context. And so first... Uh, we're looking at Colossians 3, verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so there we see this idea that through uh, the word of Christ actually dwelling in us, through singing together, through admonishing one another, that, that over a long period of time we get shaped more and more uh, into the image of Jesus. And next, I want to read uh, Galatians chapter 6, which says, uh, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so this idea that unlike any other space in the world, really, by uh, our ability to carry what's going on in each other's lives um, through the life that Jesus has given us together, we're able to uh, be formed and lifted up uh, in a way that, that wouldn't be uh, possible otherwise. And lastly, I want to read for us in 1 Thessalonians 5, which says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Um, and the importance of this, uh, that this life is not only about bearing each other's burdens, but it's that active encouraging that when we see, like, like Brad talked a few weeks ago about, when we see Jesus in each other, we speak that over each other. And not only does that point out what's true, but it, call, it calls us to more of that in a way that, that spurs us on. And so with that, um, Sarah's going to start us off this morning sharing some of how those ideas and that experience intersects, uh, not, not in the theoretical level, but in a very practical level in, in her life. Um, yeah, so go for it. So my journey with community kind of starts back with how I grew up. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, but the way we interacted with faith was very behavioral-based. So when we were bad as a kid, like, scripture was used to tell us, like, be better. Um, and when I... I had a longer journey with community before coming to Soma, but I'm just going to share about the, the, this piece, otherwise we'll be here too long. Um, so when I first started going to the, at the time, El Segundo MC, 
it was really scary and I cried a lot and I avoided it a lot and I had almost every single person pursue me about why I didn't want to be there. And it took a long time for me to understand that it was because people now were going to know my heart, not just like what I was doing every day. And they weren't just going to throw scripture at me to say, be better, but they were going to say and come alongside me like, like you need to let God change you. And there's a lot of grace here. And that grace was a perspective that I had not had um, in my childhood relationship with God. Um, so actually, as I was processing through this, I made a connection between that journey of like tr- avoiding having people know me and going um, to a small group um, with my journey with prayer. I never made this connection before. I used to be really afraid to pray in front of people. Um, I would sit there in any group prayer and I would not say anything. It would always be super awkward at the end. Everybody else in the room had prayed and I'm sitting there like, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Um, And it was because I had taught, had been taught that prayer was like other people needed to like know that I knew what I was saying and knew what I was praying about. My words had to be perfect. Um, And I actually, we had rhythms and we knew what day was coming in our MC and prayer night, I would always bail. Um, And so in terms of admonishment, I was struggling with that. And I had a couple people come ask me like, hey, I noticed that you always skip prayer night. Um, And it started the conversation about my misconception of prayer. Um, And then in the DNA, I had even more in-depth practice with people and like we would actually practice praying out loud and I used to like twitch and make weird facial expressions and um, but I just had a lot of people tell me that that's not what prayer is give me scripture about what prayer is Um, and it really broke that piece of what I had believed about behavior being like what you have to do earning it is what you had to do and that's not true Um, So that's one specific thread in my path where I've had people admonish me, encourage me, and walk that journey with me. Um, There's many more, but that's the one that really stuck out to me as I was processing through this. Thanks for sharing. Allie? Yeah, um, I have some kind of similar ties in with um, Sarah's as well. This idea of being known has been um, really impactful for me. Also in my family of origin, it was a little bit more performative, a little bit more you know, I was frequently told you shouldn't feel that way, which any modern day parent knows like, no, you need to support empathy. You need to acknowledge the feelings. And my parents just didn't have those tools. And so I grew up feeling very bad about feeling things. I felt bad about my personality often. I'm very extroverted and can be often gregarious and dramatic. And I was kind of made to believe that that needed to be tamed, that needed to be tempered. Um, and to be loved didn't really necessarily mean being known, right? It just kind of meant being liked, and so I think we all probably can relate to that in a number of ways, and when I joined the church, this church in specific, this idea of being known became very real, Um, whether I was living with our pastor's family at the time or diving deep with which is our discipleship kind of triads um, with women who really wanted to get to know me and ask me really, really hard, important questions. It was a very new feeling to feel okay in my own skin, to feel like it was okay to fail. It was okay to 
be hard on myself. It was, a, you know, these feelings of shame and worry and anxiety were seen in a new way for the first time. And um, I take a lot of comfort, you know, we always talk about this verse when a baby is born, right, that in the womb I knew you. But I think that that's a facet of God that we overlook in community a lot, which is this idea of we mirror God when we know each other deeply. And similar to Sarah, it's like really when that happens, but it's, it's, it's like this crazy feeling, actually feeling like you're in a group of people who know you very deeply, like where you can't hide. And that might scare some of you in this room, but like our hope and our prayer is that you don't want to hide and that you can't hide in this community. That by God's grace and his spirit, all of that junk in you, all of the pain, all of the mistakes, all of the shame you felt previously, is going to be met and seen with grace and love and acceptance. And the women in my DNA know me so well. Like I can't, I can't walk in the room and like within a minute they're like, what's wrong? Or like, wait, you're upset about this right now because we've gotten to the level of knowing one another. And a couple weeks ago, Brad said, you know, to experience God's love is to kind of experience the divine. And I think that that is something that our, culture in our city wants so desperately, right? We want to be known and we want to be loved and accepted, but to actually do that is really messy and really, and can be really painful. And I think that's kind of the second part of kind of my experience with community is um, Jared shared, you know, about carrying one another's burdens. And I think that that's something in the church that's talked about a lot, like, yeah, we carry each other's burdens. Like we help each other move, (laughs) Or like, you know, like we're, we bring meals to each other. And those ideas of serving are super valid and beautiful and important. But I think carrying each other's burdens is way more complicated than that. I think, you know, in our community, I've experienced God's redemptive work in helping people through addiction, through affairs, through painful childhood traumas that don't come out until you're 28 years old when you know, you're experiencing continual repetitive pain from your parents still, from your family of origin, whether you're dealing with a sick child, a child who's dying, a child who does die, walking through that I think is what God meant by bear one another's burdens and it's really scary and it's really hard. But I just think of Jesus on the cross dying while we were in the mess right? Like there's all those beautiful Pinterest pictures of like, I love you at your darkest, which is like this idea, right? Of like, it was in that that God died. It wasn't like, well, fix yourself, go to therapy, heal the trauma, and then you get to experience community. That's not how it works. And praise God, that's not how it works because everyone in this room is in the process of going through something and, or coming out of something or is about to go through something and doesn't know it yet. (laughs) Um, And I've just gotten to witness year after year healing through community, this idea of corporal prayer and having people lay hands, people coming alongside marriages that are struggling and saying, this is what Jesus says about you. This is what Jesus says about your marriage. God is for you. We are for you. The type of healing and love and grace that you don't experience outside of a community that believes that Jesus is ultimately the one that does that. Um, And so for me, it's been one of those things where unless you put your heart on the line, unless you are praying those things out loud and sharing those things out loud in community, I think that healing, you're robbing yourself of 
letting God come into those dark areas and letting others come into those dark areas. And I think, yeah, to kind of encapsulate that, there's this really beautiful thing that happens when like light shines in the darkness and you see someone glow for the first time because they've experienced a healing that they couldn't have otherwise. And I'm just really grateful that my own issues with like my mom, I've experienced healing with because I'm surrounded by women who extend grace where she never did. And I'm experiencing healing in a marriage because people are speaking into areas where I'm sinning against my husband, but I don't want to see it, but others do and can call it out and bring and show me the grace there. And I'm seeing people's addictions become healed because they're pursuing and believing in a Jesus that can heal that when everything else that the world is offering is also failing. And I think finally, one of the hardest things um, that I've learned but has been so beautiful is that in, in the community, we get to love in change and despite change. And I think it's really easy to think, well, I don't want to go fully in because I might move or they might move or I might hurt them or they might hurt me. But let me just say, like, they're going to move. You're going to move. They're going to hurt you. You're going to hurt them. And Jesus still calls us to live together and to love each other every single day knowing that. And I think that's where, like, the miracles come is, like, that doesn't make sense. And the world tells us that that's going to be really, really hard and to, like, guard yourself against that and, like, do you and, like, self-preservation, self-care. But God's love doesn't look like that, thankfully. He's not protecting himself from those hard things. And it's just so exciting when you see God working in someone's life, even if it's not what you thought it would look like or what your story would look like. If God's taking someone on a journey, you get to witness it, even if it means that they're maybe not in your life anymore or they're not as close to you as you thought that they would be or they're going away to college, <laughs> or all of these different things um, that happen as we grow and we change. And yeah, I've just been reminded over and over again that we're still going to love so deeply, not knowing what the future brings. And that, yeah, God does the same thing for us, right? He's like, therefore, I am with you to the end of the age. And we are called to do that for each other, too, even in a place like L.A. that <laughs> sees constant, constant change and transitions. So I'm just grateful that I've been able to walk in this church as long as I have and seen all of these beautiful things happen um, despite the fear and despite so many unknowns. Anyone who's worked here or lived here or rented here knows that there's so many unknowns and praise God that he's been like static through all of it. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good news that he's, not only is he with us in that, oh yeah, let's clap. Um, yeah, it's good news that he's with, not only is he with us in that, but it, he actually, it's not an accident. Like he's forming us through those moments. It's intentional. Like the, or the scripture says that the father's discipline uh, forms us and it's, it's hard in the moment, but it actually forms us into the person that he has us to be. Um, I wanted to read one more passage actually uh, before I shall share a little bit about my story. And this is from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. And it says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, 
You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but not for the unbelieving. The stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, actually, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Uh, I meant to do that at the start. Father, I just thank you for all that's already been shared um, and for the conversations this is starting um, in my own heart and everyone in this room. I pray that you would remind each of us uh, this morning uh, and through the rest of our day and into our weeks of the times uh, where you formed us through, through hard situations, through good situations, um, but that we would just be able to see your active hand in our lives more clearly uh, than we did before we entered this room this morning. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So I want to pull one specific aspect out of this text about uh, Christian community. And it's this idea that in Christian community, we have we experience a transformational belonging that leads to a life-giving purpose. And we see these kind of pairs throughout this passage, that once you were not a people, and now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were in darkness, but now you've been brought into the light to proclaim his excellencies. And for me, I grew up uh, in the church, uh, but it didn't really intersect with my life at all. It was something that was very uh, traditional in my parents' upbringing, and so we went. But I grew up a lot of times... uh, second oldest child of two, uh, the baby, feeling a little bit insignificant, um, feeling, having, you know, feelings of, of shame, uh, which, you know, you come to a certain age where you eventually stop blaming el- everyone else for those ways that you grew up and kind of own, like, this is just a hard part of my story that, that God has worked through since then. Um, but for whatever reason, I, the shame was something that I struggled with uh, a lot from a young age. Uh, There's this feeling that I don't really know what I'm here for or what I'm expected to do. And that led to anger for me a lot of times, which many of you know know me probably have a hard time imagining very severe, like, outbursts of anger from uh, my younger self. And just to give you, I mean, and that's a picture of, of what God has done in my life for sure. But just to give you a picture of that, there was this one time, which I, my memory on is, is fuzzy. My mom's is a lot less fuzzy. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I was very upset and very angry. And my parents had just gotten back from somewhere. And I ran outside to the driveway. And they just parked the car in the driveway. And my dad had had this car for maybe two weeks. And I just, with all my force of my 11 or 12-year-old self, just roundhouse kicked the side of the car above the wheel well, enough to leave like a a dent about that big that was a couple inches deep. 
And I just remember my dad walking out there and just kind of slumping and just being so sad. And that like made a, more of an impact on me than anything else. But to this day, I cannot tell you why I did that. I cannot tell you the circumstances that made me so angry. My mom swears that it was because I had left to go somewhere, came home while they were gone. They went out, got food for everyone, didn't know that I was going to be back home, so they didn't get me any food. And that was enough to make, like, triggered that, like, insignificant button for me of, like, oh, they must, they must have not cared. I, you know, I could go hungry, and they don't even care. Who, kn- who knows what my, my mental processing, but... Whatever it was, if, if she's correct, I don't know. That, I, I don't 100% believe that that was really the cause. Um, but that led to some profound anger. And there's just this picture, a literal picture, of the year, probably the year before I came to know Jesus, uh, the summer before my freshman, in high school, my freshman year in high school, uh, my family took a trip to Europe. And we're all standing outside the palace at Versailles, which sounds pretty majestic and amazing. And like, I should have just been happy to be invited. (laughs) But I just have the sourest look on my face. I just look like life is terrible. Why do these people hate me so much? And like that picture just burned in my brain because a year from then I was a different person. Um, And I can still remember the sweetness of the gospel cutting through all of that Uh, just view of the world that was dark and purposeless and sort of against me and sort of didn't care about me and sort of didn't really even have a place for me. And I can remember coming into Christian community and for the first time feeling seen um, that a group of people cared about me, that there were no strings attached, they weren't expecting me to do something important, which was good because at that point I didn't think I could do anything important. Um, they just received me with unconditional love. And it was during this time that I experienced this, this love, and it reminds me of uh, the way author uh, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he describes the difference between guilt and shame this way. He says that guilt is the feeling that I made a mistake, a really bad mistake, and I need to be forgiven for it. But shame is the feeling that I am a mistake. Uh, And that was what I was grappling with my whole childhood. And that was what I finally felt a little relief from coming into that community. And see, it was when I became to, when I came to the understanding of kind of what this passage talks about, that uh, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. That I was able to take hold of that promise. And as I grew in my faith and I learned that not only did he make that promise, but he despised the shame and he went to the cross taking my shame so that nothing would ever separate me from this love that I had finally tasted, uh, that had the ability to blot out and to wash away every sin, uh, every tear, everything that had ever been uh, holding me back and and keeping me from uh, the fullness of life that I think somewhere I knew was out there, which is why I was so... Uh, depressed and, and struggling uh, as, a, as a young kid. Um, it was the first time that I saw a compelling uh, explanation of how God loved me enough to deal with that and to remove it so that I could actually experience his love. Uh, and so when we come to Jesus, that sense of belonging that I felt, that's not the end. 
That was just the very beginning of my story. I thought I was just going to come into this community. It was going to be a great place to be, and I was finally safe. But this passage tells a different story. It says that, that not only do we come in, but then we're being built into something. We're being built into this holy priesthood. And the priesthood is the way that God made for, for the world to see him and to experience what he's like. So for uh, the apostle Peter to say that he's building us into the priesthood is a profound statement. You know, the Catholic Church has priests ordained where, where you come and you, uh, you give your confessions, and they're the way that you interact with God in a lot of ways. And I've actually been reading a book uh, by a, a priest, Thomas Merton, and he's talking, telling the story of coming into the priesthood, of finally realizing that was his calling. And it was very easy to apply it uh, after reading this passage because it's like, oh, well, we're all priests. Like Jesus is calling all of us into that priesthood. So I am also being called into the same life of commitment that he's explaining. And that's the life-giving purpose that comes out of that transformative sense of belonging. Um, And see, we're given this new life-giving purpose, but sometimes we don't always receive it right away. We don't, it's offered to us, not only is it offered to us, but we're called into it as something that is a direct correlation of that transformation that's happened. And for me, after I became a Christian, uh, the youth pastor at our church was really instrumental in this part of my story. He kind of took me under his wing. His name was Casey. Um, And he said, you know, I'm going to disciple you. I see that God's doing something in your life. I'm going to disciple you. But my only requirement for for us to have this relationship is that you have to do it with someone else. And you have to take someone else under your wing. And at that point in my life, I was like, whoa, 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 like, <laughs> I'll, I'll hang out with you, I'll have what, you know, teenager, like, I was kind of too, too cool for school, not secretly, like, I loved that he was taking an interest in me, but I was kind of like, mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but on the inside, I was like, no, there's no way I could ever commit to doing a thing like that. I couldn't, there's no way anyone would even find something valuable to want to have, spend that time with me. So I kind of like put off obedience on that, you know, I believe a call from God for many, many years. But Jesus is relentless, right? When he calls you into something, you tell him no once, he doesn't just like say, okay, cool, I'll find somebody else. It's like, no, he's, he's patient, but he's relentless, and he'll keep calling you and drawing you. Um, see, he's unwilling to be bound by how we view ourselves, right? Like, he sees you how you are. He sees you as the beloved child that he made you to be, that he redeemed you into his family to be. Um, And so he'll just keep working on you however long it takes. Um, And over the years, he continued to show me how he viewed me through the communities that he brought me in. I remember when I started as a freshman in college, finding a community there, still very timid despite being a Christian for a number of years. But by the time I was a senior, I was pretty involved. And one of my close friends, who's my roommate, the, at our school, the, the seniors would lead Bible studies for the freshmen in the Christian group on campus. And he came up to me one day and was like, we don't have enough leaders, so you're leading a group. I was like, oh, no thanks. I'm, you know, I'm not interested. It's like, oh, that wasn't a request. Like, <laughs> you are leading a group. It's like, oh, okay. So we'll see how that goes. And so that was my first step in saying like, well, someone's literally telling me I have to do this, so I guess I, guess I kind of have to obey you, God. But it, it, it rhymed with you know, what, what Casey had said to me so many years earlier. And so I did that, and it was life-giving. And I grew in my faith, and I saw kind of 
surprisingly that others seem to benefit and grow in their faith. I was like, wow, this is really wild that God would, you know, use me who doesn't have any, you know, right to be standing up and speaking out of a Bible to a group of people that he would, he would help someone and, and lift their burdens through that as well as working on my heart. And then fast forward many years, we were, we were move, our family was moving to London back before we had any kids. Um, and our pastor there kind of took the same role in my life. and was like, hey, I want you to, to lead more in the community and uh, lead Bible studies and uh, share tes- testimonies and stuff during the gathering. And I just remember being so afraid because like sharing in a small group of students was one thing, but like standing in front of like a, a church, a room full of people like you guys um, was just terrifying to me. And I just remember the Holy Spirit impacting pressing on my heart saying, what, what is it to you if I would help someone? Are you so afraid of, of, being, of looking foolish that you would deny someone what I would speak to their heart through the words that I put in your mouth? And I was like, okay, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I will look foolish <laughs> at least a few times. Um, but I was instrumental in, again, seeing like, oh, God actually has more for me than I have, than I believe uh, my life is meant for. And then uh, moving back here and getting involved in this community and trip kind of from day one saying like, hey, I want you to, to lead and I want you to, you know, learn to preach and I want you to, I think maybe you should begin the eldership process and be raised up in the church. And that was just more of this like the Holy Spirit's constant voice throughout my life, again, through it, like when it's through five, four or five different people, eventually it becomes pretty hard to ignore. Um, and so I say that because it's a call on all of our lives, right? That, that if, if Jesus uh, was rejected by men but became God's plan of salvation for the entire world, what is it for us who often feel rejected? How, how might God use us? If his if his, the flavor of his work in the world is using the rejected things to create salvation, what does that say about us, who he's using every day? The stone that the builders rejected has become our cornerstone. Um, and because we belong, we belong now because he has made us a people of his own possession. We belong to him, and we've been transformed by that, and he's given us this new purpose. So... Lastly, that brings us to the, last, the next chapter for us, which many of you know, we've shared with a few people, but we're uh, going to be leaving LA in a few short weeks. And that's been a really hard thing for me again, of the thing, the, the, even just the logistics, getting my mind through to, to get to that point of saying, yeah, we can go, we can, we can risk it all, I can work remotely from... Houston to be near our families has been overwhelming and felt like too much, uh, much of the time. But it, again, it just, it rhymes and it, it rings true with all of those previous voices from the Spirit of God saying, this is what I have for you. And the moment that I was willing, he just became, it became so obvious that I couldn't look away anymore. And I realized that same spirit of unwillingness was what had, had held me back for so long and continues to need to be uh, rolled back 
year after year uh, as I, I learned to follow him more deeply and fully. And, um, but yeah, I, um, we wanted to share with, uh, with you guys all together that we're leaving in advance. We still have Robin and the kids will be around for another week, um, and I'll be around for probably another three weeks. And um, if anyone, like, if anyone wants to meet up for coffee, hang out, hear more about our process, because this is very fast. You're not crazy. It happened in the span of two weeks. We went from, oh, we'll be here for forever, to, okay, we're definitely moving. Um, and we process with a few of you in that short in-between time, but um, we really feel it's what God has for our family. And I think the telltale sign is that it feels like a lot of sacrifice, but also a lot of uh, excitement and um, hope. And many tears have been shed and many tears will continue to be shed. But yeah, I just wanted to open it up. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll be able to, to meet up with anyone who wants to hear more about that. Um, but yeah, like I said at the beginning, like being a part of this community has been one of the great joys of my life, and, and we hope to visit often um, and to see you guys a lot more. So this isn't a full-on goodbye. This is just that we won't see you in the day-to-day things as much. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all I have to share. Do one of you guys want to pray to close our time? I can pray. We can both pray. Both pray. Both pray. Both pray. <laughs> um, dear Lord, we just thank you that you are a community yourself, Lord, um, that by your spirit and through Jesus, we understand the importance of not being alone. And um, we just pray, Lord, that your spirit would continue to bring healing and openness and vulnerability and grace and friendship and fellowship um, amongst the people in this room, Lord, those that we know, those that we're yet to know. Um, Lord, we pray for the same thing amongst our children and their friends, Lord, um, just that you would be at work among us. We pray against the enemy who does not want us to live life this way. Um, We pray against seeds of bitterness and resentment, Lord, that can run rampant in communities like ours. And we just pray that we would see each other the way you see us, Lord, and that we would come alongside each other in the changes, that we would come alongside each other in the sending and in the receiving, um, as you are the one that moves us about and ordains our paths, Lord. We just thank you for the gift of love that continues to be born among us and shared among us and given among us as you freely and openly share it with us without us having to do a single thing to earn it. We just pray that we also can live as a community that doesn't strive to earn each other's love, but gives it and receives it as you do. I would just echo what I said, like, we don't do it. Um, and it's really hard to say that out loud sometimes, um, that we can't earn it. Um, so I just yeah, pray that your spirit is humbling us in community and that we each are in the moment saying the things that you're calling us to say and processing the things that you've had other people say to us and letting that change us. Um, We can't do it without community. We can't do it without you working in us and we certainly can't do it without being humble. So I pray that all of that is working in our communities. Um, Let me pray.
Amen.